Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Well, of course, as always, I mentioned our friends at BetterHelp. This podcast, the Dr. Drew Podcast, is sponsored by BetterHelp. And uh, there's always something to work on, right? Uh, And BetterHelp will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating under 48 hours. I've told you many times in this podcast that I've referred patients, I've referred family, and I've been very impressed with the uh, professional standings, the professional standards of the practitioners at BetterHelp and the services they provide. You can log in anytime to your account, send a message to your therapist. And uh, with BetterHelp, they're committed to these good therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier, healthier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials. They're posted really daily at betterhelp.com reviews. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. And we have a special offer for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. Hey guys, this is Kale Lowry. And this is V Rivera. We're the hosts of Baby, Baby Mama's, Mama's No, no Drama. Drama. Every Tuesday we talk about parenting, co-parenting, lifestyle, and sex. Pop culture, current events, and pretty much all the things you want in one podcast. So download and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Listen to us every Tuesday and join us with all the tea. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, please, please support those that support us. And don't forget to check out uh, Dr. TV. Check out the streaming shows After Dark. It would be great if the Corolla world was over there a bit at your mom's house. And uh, also, at, uh, let's see, Instagram, Dr. Drew Pinsky, Dr. Drew Pinsky, and TikTok, and Dr. Drew, and Twitch, and whatever. Check us out. Please find us there. And as I, as I said, we try to be careful about who supports us here, and we hope you will enjoy their products and help us keep going so we can keep putting the wind in the shale sails of the Corolla pirate ship. Sam Cononius with me last in July of 2018. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, man, that's been it's insane. It, uh, although we did see each other in Florida. We'll talk about that a, a second. But the new book is called The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Age of Fentanyl and Meth. Uh, Sam is famous for Dreamland, the true tale of America's opioid epidemic, opioid epidemic. I don't remember that being the <clears throat> the subtitle of it because I just remember Dreamland, but right. it is literally the true tale. It is – when, when I read it the first time, I was like, oh, shit. Sam it knows it gets exactly what has happened here. It is – I lived it. It's what happened. Right. If you want to know how we got into this mess with opiates, just read uh, Sam's book, Dreamland. That's all you have to do and you will understand it. I, let's talk about Greenland for a quick second because sure. I think it's worth reviewing that you set out really not to talk about the American f- physician, pain no. management, all that BS that you get into. You were going to do a story about Mexico. I was going to really do a story about Mexican heroin traffickers yeah. uh, because I thought it very weird that you know uh, there was all of a sudden this resurgent in seizures of heroin at the border by the DEA and uh, all these barometers of how increased heroin usage in America. I thought, 
who the hell would use heroin again? I mean, didn't the 70s teach us? You know, I couldn't imagine such a thing, you know? I wish I'd known you then. I could have told you precisely how it happened. <laughs> well, what happened, well it, it was an interesting thing. Yeah. So I stumble upon this story about this village where in town in Mexico where everybody comes north to sell heroin like pizza with a pizza kind of operator standing by to deliver and all that and how they expand like a Subway Sam Domino's pizza kind of franchise. Yeah. But then along the way, you know, um, the the story I realized I was really on the small story to, uh, connected to all this. Yeah. Much bigger stories, you know, was the revolution in pain management with so, regard to opioid painkillers, narcotic painkillers, so called revolution. Uh, the, well, it, <laughs> it certainly was used, uh, yeah. transformed, you know, yeah. uh, the pain management uh, for better and worse uh, throughout the country, you know, and it's it, it, so. You know what's that, weird? There's a weird thing going on now. Let me yeah. just think about. It. I got to tell you. Yeah, sure. So. So it got better, yeah. Uh, and really was, um, oh crap! What's his name? That was the head of the DOJ before, uh, the guy with the southern accent it was the head of the DOJ. Uh, uh, yeah, attorney um, general for from Alabama, yes, Senator yes. Uh, Jeff Sessions. Sessions. Sessions did it. Yeah, I went to a conference at the White House, and he said, "I know exactly what to, do and we're, I'm going to get this. I know I'm going to be able to turn this thing around." Three months later, it was done. He, he yeah. had turned around because physicians freeze when you take legal action. Sure. It's how we got into the pain epidemic. Doctors were put in jail or fined massive funds for inadequate treatment of pain. We all froze. We didn't do anything. We sent everything to pain management out of fear, and yeah. the pain management people delivered the epidemic to us. Right. But the pain management group world is still at large. Yeah. They now have – have you seen what's going on now? Um, you tell me. I'm not, well, it's the maybe. same thing all over again. Yeah. The, uh, the pain advocacy groups are getting attorneys. The attorneys are saying that people are dying and suffering because of inadequate yeah. pain and going after doctors for inadequate treatment of pain. The, the problem is we do need to re- re- reach a balance. He's, they're yeah. sort of right. We have actually have gone a little too far the wrong direction. Sure. But they are in, again, denial that opiates are addictive and blah, blah, blah. Let's be fair. It's mostly addicts that want their pills. That's mostly what it is. Yeah. Because the reason I can say that is we now know that Suboxone is a superior medication for chronic pain to all other opiates. Uh-huh. I could regale you with a interesting with I did 50, not know that. fifty different pieces of literature that are so dramatic. Yeah. And there are pain management doctors in the country that use it routinely. And they are vilified and they're told that they don't know what they're doing. And they're, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the resistance is because the, yeah. the, the literature is 100% clear. And those of my peers that use it are over the moon with how effective it is and how people for get For chronic pain. For chronic pain and addiction. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, chronic, the complex chronic pain patient, let's call it right, that. Right, they right. do beautifully on Suboxone and all the opioid seeking and preoccupation, it all goes away. It all goes false by yeah, the side. And they're, able, and they're yeah. able to minimize the use and control the pain. I, I I just see drug addiction at work when when I see people not wanting to do something that has scientific basis to it. Right. And and right. then why the physicians are resisting is the part I find challenging. Probably that, because there may be another story there the, the for you. physicians have been through a lot, and, <laughs> you know, and they're afraid. also in systems they're that afraid. frequently in systems that you know it's very difficult to be a kind of a, a your own boss. As well, you're right, you know? and, and uh, this is I w- wish you would write this next story because <laughs> because here's the story that I've learned during COVID since we were last together. We were last yeah. together in Florida two years ago. I think it was years? yeah right uh, and. What happened during this pandemic in, a, in the, the tiniest little sketch, physicians froze, yeah. right? They got scared. They got scared of the mob first. They got scared of being called Trumpers or whatever right. they were scared of. 
And then I realized – I didn't realize the next layer to this. They were fearful of losing their job. They uh-huh. had employers. They had hospital systems, hospital administrators, insurance administrators. They were part of big systems. And if they didn't do exactly what the party line was saying, they could lose their job. I've ne- yeah. In my career, I've never seen that. And then what they did as opposed to doing what we're supposed to do is make the best decision possible on behalf of the patient. Right. We ceded the whole process to bureaucrats, yeah. to the FDA, to the NIH. Who are not in position? That's not what they do. They've yeah. never. They're not. They're not trained to do that. They're not. That's not what they're interested in. Sure. And we just ceded the whole thing to them. Hmm. That's the really interesting thing about this <laughs> pandemic. I'm telling you, you want to write a story about that? Okay. That, that's your. That's your next. Uh, as we'll talk I'll about give it some thought. This book, The Least of Us: <laughs> The Tales of American Physicians in the Age of Pandemic. That's because right. it was really stunning to me yeah. how doctors relinquish their responsibility uh-huh. to bureaucrats and clinical pathways and administrators. I've never it was just breathtaking to me. Yeah. And much as breathtaking as the opioid epidemic was <laughs> yeah, in a yeah. similar kind of way. Right. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you as you were talking about the pain management world. Well no, just that that there was you know, this moment when I began to realize that the story was enormous. And I had spent, you know, years in Mexico, uh, which in helped me immensely because it's very hard. I don't see how it's possible, frankly, to write about the drug issue in America without knowing Mexico very deeply. It's, it's just all connected. It's, Mexico is the source of a lot of the stuff. And so uh, I began to realize that the story is even bigger than that, though, and that there was this revolution and a pain management, which I did not care about. You know what I mean? <laughs> I really wanted to be – I'm a crime reporter all my life, my professional life, and I, I wanted to be writing about drug cartels Street gangs in L.A., which I did a lot of um, uh, immigration, that kind of stuff, you know, and and this story kind of sucked me in. But it became clear to me because I was in Mexico and oblivious to all this stuff, I missed – I didn't know what an Oxycontin was. I didn't know what a Vicodin was. How did the awareness come to you? Was it it a moment or was it – There was this – a little bit, a couple of conversations with cops. They're all on Oxycontin. All the the heroin users are on Oxycontin. There's a big – one guy, there's a big black market in pills now, and they buy them there, and they get addicted, or they, they, they have an accident, the doctor prescribes, and they prescribe too much, and pretty soon the guy's on the street, you know. And I began to go, oh, and, wow. It's the source okay. of homelessness now, too, by also, the way. Also, you and know. People are in massive denial about that. Yeah, right. Well, that's a whole other yeah. topic, frankly. But, but it, it, that was part of my um, realization that the story that I was focused on, while very interesting and fascinating and all, uh, was actually part of a much, much larger thing. And, of course, then as I got into it, I realized that there was, this was actually more of a – I wrote a story about that for the L.A. Times, about the, the, the village in Mexico and all that. And then I began – this is a book. I kept on realizing this is a book. I got I to gotta think in terms of broader national scope because this is everywhere. And I learned a little bit about pain management by then and began to realize, damn, this is, this is everywhere because it's every doctor was either badgered, cajoled, Eagerly embraced or scared. Oh, we're scared. scared. All of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. But it happened doctor after doctor from you know L.A. to Maine. I'm telling you, it's the same thing with COVID. <laughs> trust, trust me on this. Okay. Except the surgeons behave differently, which is a whole other story. But go ahead. Keep okay. Going. And so anyway, that that became the larger story. And then of course, 
you know, it's very hard to deal to write about this stuff without understanding that it's even bigger than that. It's about you know our f- fragmentation of, as people and isolation. Of course, pandemic just in, pronounced you know magnified that horribly. Well, you and I—that's where we ended our last conversation in right. 2017. When we were 18. last, yeah, yeah, when you were last here, was yeah. that was something deeply on your mind? No, I, and I, I kept at it. I kept thinking, if you if you begin to understand. Uh, these things, uh, after a while, they, it all makes sense. You can see the connections, the uh, people kind of all alone, even not, not just in Rust Belt areas, not just in, you know, Appalachia, Orange County, you know, suburban Charlotte, Banking Center of America, uh, now, Indianapolis. Now, is that a function of – is there another layer to that, I guess, would be the way to ask it? And is it about fractured families? Is that the uh, ultimate uh, certainly. source? Even, or even you know – Poor or wealthy, it doesn't. Middle class doesn't really matter too much. It's it's what we've done to to community, to our own communal life, to our f- families. Without a doubt, very very important uh, aspect in all that. Uh, just the corrosion of 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 families, and and also you know maybe in some cases it's our own uh, economic devastation. In other areas, I think it's our own prosperity. You know, well, I, I remember though, man, the nineties. You know, Hillary Clinton writes, it takes a village. Families don't matter. It takes a village. Villages do it. That, well, families don't yeah, matter. We, no. 30, villages, years of, 30 years of families don't matter. You know right. what I mean? No wonder they're falling apart. Villages do matter. Families is matter where it, it starts <laughs> yes. or, or where the, the basis of it all. Yes, and if you don't have a solid village. family, the, the street, you know, yeah. if you have a, several families in which things are really going badly, the street can't unite. If the street can't unite, a few of those, and pretty soon the, the village can't yeah. uh, unite. You That's know right. what I mean? It's, yes, it's, everyone's of kind of it's, it starts in these m- m- small ways, and that was that became also kind of like the in- inspiration uh, for the least of us too. Okay, tell more about that. Well, it's out I, now. Book I, is out now. Go get it. It is out now. It's great uh, reading. Oh, thank you so much. And so the idea was that we had gotten into this. First the idea was that we hadn't gotten into this because we demanded. One solution, magic solution yes. to a very complicated problem, yes. which is human pain. Yes. So what is the solution? Narcotic opioid painkillers for everybody prescribed by a doctor because they're, of course, they're, they're now known to be non-addictive for pain patients, all that stuff. And that, 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 that's make sure people don't think you actually said that. No, no, that, that yeah, was the party line. At that the time. was the party line. That, that was, was the what they were letter, sold. Blah 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 blah. They were sold this, right? It was an idea that that you could prescribe this with endless refills, yeah. almost because you know what? They're well, not, it got even worse because if you remember, it went from that to pain is what the patient says it is. Right. Pain controls what the patient says it is. Right. So you don't need a doctor. Yeah. Just pain, just counting just, all the the clinical experience of your doc, just saying you know, you know what, doc, I got one back pain. Here's what works for me: Demerol, fifty milligrams, IM. <laughs> right. Two hours and, with oxycontin two tabs up before doc where you're going to get a bad um, bad review evaluation. and i'm going to get an attorney that happens too all sure. the time yeah so so all of that became um backdrop for me thinking we got into this because we wanted magic we yeah. wanted an easy silver bullet answer to a very complicated problem so i believe that 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 human beings advance we innovate focusing on small steps mm. and community uh, involvement uh, together. We do this with people. This is how factories make advances, small steps. And so I began, and I began to realize that that we don't tell enough of those stories because they're not sexy enough. Mm-hmm. And so in the next book, and in in in, in, uh, in uh, as I was planning this next book, the least of us, the the least of us, I began to find stories that I thought were tiny, unheralded, unnoticed, but were people who were just nevertheless not looking for headlines. They were looking 
just to help somebody who was in tough shape and doing so without any any hope of remuneration, obviously, but also, you know, credit or slap on the back or anything yeah. like that. And so it became, it became clear to me that when we, when we do this in small numbers, it, it, it grows. This, this is really, if you, if you think about it, when I finished Dreamland, there were three lawsuits, right, against the drug companies. Yep. The, the book comes out within a year, the people are coming out of the shadows, people are talking about what they've, they've experienced far more than they ever used to do. Politicians, attorneys general, figure it out. They begin the whole, now there's, there's 2,600 lawsuits that are now gradually being, yeah, gradually being, being resolved. And that is an example of what I'm talking about. These small little moments leading to some larger change eventually, but no one, um, that no one really imagines when they, when they come out of the the, the 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 shadows to talk about how their son you know had a football injury and then was next seen dying on a McDonald's bathroom toilet needle in his arm that kind of thing didn't di- you know didn't happen then it began to happen and it in in small amounts that leads to big change positive effective productive change whereas trying to fu- so that's why I focused in the book um, the least of us on the stories of of small folks. Uh, in small communities, just trying to do some one small thing. Mm-hmm. To me, that's that is the beauty of this epidemic because it shows us that that is really powerful. If you do that, it's that, re- yeah, it's, it's all re- you can do. <laughs> it's all you can do. Yeah. Don't think you don't worry that you're not changing the world, so yeah. to speak. Do that, and that leads somewhere really positive. One well, thing leads to another. I- but you got to do that one thing. And, and interesting in that that's what this current uh, sort of woke generation seems to be missing. Which is that you know being Angelina Jolie and saving the world? It's a good thing. Does not nourish the soul. No. It really doesn't. It, it, Aristotle pointed this out two thousand years ago, and it's been Gilgamesh points it out. You know, right. is, the, is that helping you having a skill and its wisdom to offer to another per, person, not persons even, no, no, person, yeah. and doing it over time in a close setting, intimate, right. That's what nourishes others, and that's the that's, that's where the title of the book came. The least of us, Matt. I mean, we are uh, the least of us are w- within us all. That, that, that we all have. We we are only as strong as the most vulnerable. And and when we understand that it's the least of us that we need to kind of minutely help, that that leads then to to the social change that people now want to have happen in big brush ways that that actually don't. I don't think I, I, I agree. I don't think it will really lead very well. I, I'm realizing that I'm, I'm hearing you say that. I, I'm having this mixed feeling, and I had the same mixed feeling when I was reading your book. Yeah, a, a little feeling of being overwhelmed. Yes, a, and part of the overwhelmed feeling was. Um, I know, I know, I know the magic of this. I know how it works. How important it is for the the person needing help. I know how important it is for the person giving help. Yeah, I've done it. I know it. I know what it is. Getting the world to embrace it is what overwhelms me. Yes, I, I, and, I just and don't know. I just particularly keep... in our in our consumerist capitalist economy, when when we're being sold relentlessly, you know, addictive crap stuff that that just takes doesn't just, matter. It, it just doesn't it, matter. No, no, it's so. But, but I toxic. immediately, I immediately, I can't help it. I just go to the homeless thing because that's the that's the example. Yeah, that's the the. the that's we're looking down the barrel of the current manifestation of what you're talking about. Sure. And the, one of the reasons I'm overwhelmed is 
The politicians refuse to deal with what's actually going on. They put yeah. laws in place that make it impossible to help people. Right. Yeah. Literally, it's impossible legally in California to do what you and I are talking about right. doing for someone. Yes. Unless they come up to you and beg you to help them. Otherwise, you can't get near them. That's yeah, a even that's then. fucked up. <laughs> that is, that yeah. is fucked up. Uh, yeah, it's a, it, there's it, it's an interesting uh, uh, problem uh, in in the in the book. Um, I talk about the importance and all this of of methamphetamine, uh, which I believe is um, it's our current thing. Yeah, and and the way they are making methamphetamine down in Mexico now is uh, very different from the way they made it, you know, 10 years ago. And it, it's, it's exacting in a horrible, horrifying um, uh, price because it really drives people to, to mental illness, schizophrenia, symptoms of uh, – Well, so, so let me explain to yeah. people what that is. So, so uh, meth is a funny drug because you can use it once or twice a day and develop psychotic illness in a few months. Not necessarily. Some people use it for a few years before that happens. Some people yeah. use it for many years before it happens. But most people, particularly the brand of meth that's on the streets now. Yeah. And by the way, all your homeless people, that's meth fentanyl. That's what that is. It's meth fentanyl, yeah. meth fentanyl, meth fentanyl. Everywhere. everywhere. It's, yeah. In fact, I walked around the streets. <coughs> I walked around with a recovering guy. He's actually a nurse now. And he said, oh, yeah, that woman has got meth in her vagina and this is the spotter looking for cops and that's the guy selling it from right. her, out of her vagina. Right. I was like, how do – I didn't – I couldn't see any of it. It was all invisible to me. Sure. And I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable about drug addicts and how they work. <clears throat> but it's, it's a whole thing that the world is not looking at. No. And I went around. I thought, oh, it's just all drug addicts. This, these are my patients. That's why I'm yeah. so upset by this. But anyway, so the meth, you take it. You can take it once or twice a day. People usually take a little more than that, but you don't have to take it more than that. And what develops slowly is a paranoid psychosis in almost all cases. Yeah. Whether it happens quickly or slowly is sort of different amongst different folks. But the paranoid psychosis is extraordinarily destructive. The people – it ends up – the people that you see on the street raving mad, like yeah. swinging their arms around, throwing in a machine – that's meth. Yeah, that is sure. meth. That's where it goes. But before they get there, they're just paranoid. They're paranoid, and the paranoia is not like cocaine. Right, do you know this? Mm. Cocaine, the paranoia with crack. The paranoia is against uniformed officers. Uh -huh. Always somebody with a uniform. Cops, uh -huh. SWAT team, army, right. and, and the and the uh, amphetamine addicts actually go towards the cops to help them against mm -hmm. you know their neighbor. So yeah. with amphetamine, it's a slow paranoid and bizarre often. Preoccupation with family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors, yeah. close relations, yeah. and they will develop these elaborate ideas about them, thinking about them, coming for them, putting a factory under them, blah, 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 like just goes, goes, and it's, right. and it's fixed. It never yeah. changes. And when all the things you see on the street, people taking things apart, yeah, that's meth. Yeah, absolutely. It makes you take stuff yeah, apart. Absolutely. Yeah, and bikes, usually, bikes and, and TVs. Yeah, bikes and TVs being yeah. a classic. Sure. And and they're often in the TV looking for the guy that's talking to them through the TV, which is right. part of the psychotic episode. And the pro the big problem is uh, first of all they have anosognosia, so there's a complete block and in insight in what's happening to them. They have no yes, idea it's sure. happening. Number one and number two, it persists even when they stop using. That's that's the scary. Uh, another part of the scary uh, scary part of this whole story, and also the fact that even after they stop using, it takes a while before you can communicate with them to be able and, to actually get them into treatment. And, and by a while, by a while, oftentimes we're mm -hmm. talking six to eight weeks. Yeah, if you're lucky, yeah, yeah, two yeah. weeks, two weeks. But who's going to hold somebody for two weeks? You can't. That, that's the problem. You've got all. The, this is this. 
you know, dismantles all the ideas we've had about drug treatment. If you just bring people to treatment, make it available, that they will. There, there they are will things go for you it. can do to settle the psychosis that you mm-hmm. can. Lorazepam, in my experience, it, it helps. Clonopin helps. I see. Um, antipsychotics do nothing, which is really interesting. Yeah. Normally, we can create, we can clear a psychosis pretty quickly. Right, not with meth. It's no. the benzos that kind of help. Kinda. No, meth, methamphetamine is, uh, is has become because of the way it's made now. Um, Describe what you mean by that. Well, for years, you know, it's interesting. I was just speaking with a gang member yesterday at a, at the police department. As, as is here. our custom. As is our custom. Well, <laughs> if you do my job, you don't pass up a chance to talk with a a, a veteran gang member. Believe me, you can learn a lot. Yeah. Anyway, this guy was also a drug dealer for a long time, and and uh, and he told me the story that I wrote and I'd already written in the book, which was that. Um, uh, Mexican traffickers had figured out in the late 80s, early 90s how to make methamphetamine, and this was perfect because they didn't need to deal with Colombians as much anymore who were making the cocaine. Right. They could make it themselves. They right. didn't have big extensions of land. They could make it in a lab. Right. All they needed was the, the chemicals. Pseudofed, yeah. Right, Ethan, all that Pseudofed. kind of stuff. And they made it from ephedrine. Yeah. And one chemical, which is a very easy chemically – Simple yep. process mm-hmm. uh, to tweak, and do all of a sudden you got you got meth. Anybody could do it, you know that kind of thing. And this they made they perfected and made in industrial quantities uh, for many years. But their their supplies that they were able to make were limited by the amount of ephedrine they could find. Mm. And were they, was, were they starting with pseudoephedrine and isolating ephedrine? No, no, no it was, they it was ephedrine. ephedrine and yeah. then a pseudoephedrine after that, okay. and then copious, you know, trailer. Full of pills, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. that they were then. Well, break, if you watch Breaking Bad, this, yeah, 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 it's kind of like that, yeah. right? And so that ha- that was developed into a major industry. First, they were doing it here, and in Mexico, they were doing it in the Temecula. They were doing it in I, I, when I was when I was running a program, they would have them. They would. This is what they would do. They would find guys that had talent, literally talent yeah. for cooking. They called it cooking. They'd put them on a boat, yeah. send them out past the backside of Catalina, yeah. cook for a week, yeah. and then blow the boat up. And blow the boat. Great. Yeah. That's well, it's a classic, do. you know, lack of concern for anything but the dope, of course. Yeah. But but as time went on, law enforcement made it very very difficult for them to do their labs here in the United States. So by 2004, you're kind of seeing these labs. These cookers go back to Mexico, you yeah. know, and 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 so since about two thousand and seven or eight, you really don't have a lot of labs in the United States. Yeah. It's all down there. What happens in two thousand eight though is the Mexican government finally realizes a big deal, and they do something that a little strange. They make it illegal, except for certain licensed companies, to pos- to possess ephedrine. Every for everybody else, it's illegal. What then happens is now this is this is alarming to the tra- trafficking world because they thought they had the golden you know cow here with with a drug that they can make themselves in yeah. a small lab. Yeah, it's yeah. cheap chemicals. Oh my god, it's fantastic. Well, what ha- happens is they start you know searching around for another way of making methamphetamine and then there is another way it's not nearly as efficient it requires a lot of different chemicals to get to a precursor known as phenyl 2 propanone uh, known as p2p really just know it as p2p and they begin to, they understand oh wow we can make meth this way too and the benefit there's a uh, there's a lot of d- drawbacks to the p2p method of making meth first of all it's stinky it's a lot of byproduct. You're throwing away a lot of stuff. You have to get a lot more chemicals. It's not as easy to make. But if you don't care about that, if you have control of law enforcement, if you're not really caring about the environment where you throw this stuff, it's a good thing. And so, and and all you really need then is control of shipping ports, which there are two of 
on the Pacific coast of Mexico, which is kind of this drug center for what are, for what are they? There's Manzanillo, uh, which is Manzanillo. If you, Manzanillo. If you yeah. drive it's south by, by Puerto Vallarta, right? Yeah, right. Not too far from there. Drive south from Arizona down the Pacific coast. Yeah. You get there in about two, three yeah. days, and then after that, there's Lazaro Cárdenas in the state of Michoacán. Those two ports are very large, and that's all they really. That's all they really need. So they begin making the. The thing is, the benefit to them is you can make. All, there's all these chemical hacks you can get to making P2P. You can make it with a bunch of different combinations of, it's just, of chemicals. It's, it's organic chemistry. It's just all these, or, or exactly. Yeah. And all these chemicals yeah. are industrial chemicals yeah. used widely in racing fuel, photography, tanning, perfume. You go on and on and on. All these different things. And they, they – so they can get it anywhere and you can't – Regulate it as easily as you can regulate ephedrine. Sure. They start making it with all these different, very toxic, very industrial chemicals, sulfuric acid, hydrochloric acid, all these different things. And the meth that they – and what this allows them to do though, that is what ephedrine never allowed them to do, is make quantities of meth that are – just vast, vast and unprecedented in the history of our country. So much so that a drug that really never made it, the Mexican method really never made it across the Mississippi River. You know, it was Arizona, it was Seattle, mm-hmm. it was L.A. It was, you know, it, it was not it was not like Ohio. Mm. But now it's Ohio, Kentucky, North Carolina. And then in, since in the last two years, let's say three, maybe it's made it up to New England, which never had any kind of meth. Mm-hmm. And so what you're seeing is vast quantities, just unbelievable quantities. The price is historic lows. The problem is um, – and that was going to be my story until I began to realize that the other story to it was that not only is it vast and cheap and potent, it's also turning people mentally ill. And that is what we're seeing with the homeless rise in many, many, as you, as you were saying, you, you, you chart the, the homeless rise to about 2012, which just is about the time when they kind of, it, it took a few years for them to get the knowledge widespread among all the different producers out there of how to make this stuff and get access to the chemicals and a few, the murder of a couple of key figures who were in control of stuff once they're not in control anymore. It's easy for everyone to get involved. And pretty soon by 2013-14, you're seeing meth supplies just unbelievable. Did you write that quotes. article, please, to the LA Times? So um, uh, that's in the it's in the book. I'm going to write an op-ed but, about but, that. Very I mean, you have to topic. do because people do not understand. No, this. the problem is with I mean, meth, the politicians with, have with homeless, no willingness. With homelessness, we we have a, almost a willful blindness, and and it and so therefore you can read all the coverage of of homelessness and and. They will talk endlessly about the high cost of housing. They're using these people to make that political message. Yeah. They're letting people die at five a day in the county for their political purposes. It's not as though these people that are so screwed up brain-wise – you put them in a house. That's going to that take care of the no problem. There's no housing that you so, could possibly they offer. They just that need person. a job in a house, and that's going to cure it. Yeah, no. Are you kidding me? The problem is, we talk about homelessness <laughs> as a, as one thing. It's really not monolithic at all. And it's also not homeless. It's it's open air asylum with right. severe drug with that universal is, drug addiction. Yeah, yeah. There's there's there are people affected. I'm sure by the by the high cost of housing, which is high in this area. The average but, duration on the street three months. For those people, we were talking yeah. about chronic homelessness. Yes, right. there are two different populations. Yeah, absolutely. The ones that are stuck out there in, the, in their family in the car, 
three months because there right. are tons of services and money available right. for them. Tons and they have they have the mental capacity to do it to, to use, use it, it. Yeah. and they have not burned up all the 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 trust and love that yep. the, the other yep. friends and family may yep. have for them That's and right. on and on and exactly. on. Exactly. And those folks, yeah, they those folks don't And remember meth destroys relationships because of the paranoia and the aggression. Uh, absolutely. It's very hard to live with particularly yeah. a meth guy who's 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 jabbering away and has a, a weapon. <laughs> or and and the idea that you could give them a house under those conditions, as one guy says in my book, it's just not sane to think you can house people under those conditions. That condition has to be dealt with. And so we have had this kind of politically correct. If you ask me, that's what what this is all about. This is people not wanting to cast homeless people as drug addicts I, I've been because saying it's it for a, three years. stigmatizes. I, I've been them. saying it for three years. It's a drug addict problem. It's a whole thing. And I yeah. and even I was willing to say, well, it's maybe it's mental illness and some other stuff, but. It's all drug addiction. It really is. Just the whole thing. Is that. It comes down to these, At least now these basic is. things. And, and yeah. you can't do much about the housing element until you – first of all, until you recognize that this is – that the drug issue is the, is the, well, the, the meth, fundamental point. Interestingly, meth and opiate addiction drives people to the streets. Cocaine doesn't – alcohol, really, you got to really go down the line to end up on the streets sure. with alcohol. It takes a long time. But, but with meth and heroin, it happens fast. Yeah. And meth particularly, sometimes yeah. weeks – BetterHelp, you know these guys, they provide online therapy in today's world with the COVID world. We're used to using Zoom and uh, other electronic media to access mental health services and and, and physical health, you know, me- uh, medical services as well. But this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And if there's something interfering with your uh, well-being, your mental health, BetterHelp will assess your needs and you can start communicating in under 48 hours with your professional therapist done securely online broad ranges of expertise they can provide. It's available in cl- for clients worldwide. You get timely, thoughtful responses. With BetterHelp, they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a better life today. And you can read testimonials at betterhelp.com reviews. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew. That is Better H-E-L-P and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They are recruiting therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Drew. You've also heard me mention AMCN and that health insurance doesn't typically cover full costs of emergency medical flights. Even with comprehensive coverage, you can get, of course, hit with deductibles and co-pays. Protect your family and your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year and covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home. That is just pennies a day. We all know that the unexpected can happen, tends to happen. An AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. For a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you'll get up to a $50 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use offer code DREW, Drew. Well, perhaps you're not getting enough sleep, restless legs, small changes can make a difference. Uh, Marie started Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's an organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement, includes seven unique forms of magnesium. 
Marie left it with a five-star review saying, quote, I'd give this 100 stars if I could. Within one month of use, I went from daily struggles with restless legs, constipation, and poor sleep to no struggles with any of that. I know it sounds dramatic and far-fetched, but it is true. Emory isn't the only one getting better sleep after taking Magnesium Breakthrough. I think a lot of people know that magnesium can help with sleep. Another testimonial, Amanda, who says, I fall asleep much faster and stay asleep. Now, until normal waking hours, you have a customer for life. Cross says, on the first night of taking Magnesium Breakthrough, my deep sleep jumped up to two hours, which has been the highest reading so far from my Aura Ring. If you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, an easy thing you could do is start getting enough magnesium. But don't run to the store and buy the first magnesium supplement you find. They usually typically have the two cheapest synthetic forms of magnesium, and since they're not full spectrum, they may not fix that deficiency or help you sleep better. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you should get all of them if you want to experience sleep-enhancing effects. So Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers provides that. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed how much better you sleep and how much more you feel rested when you wake up the next day. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. Use the code DrDrew10 to save 10% when you buy Magnesium Breakthrough. And one more thing, for a limited time, Bioptimizers is giving away free bottles of their best-selling products, P3OM and Massozymes, with select purchases only while supplies last. So hurry and order now if you want to get those three gifts. I take P3OM on a regular basis. Go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew to get your exclusive 10% discount plus the chance to get more than $50 worth of supplements for free. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I did, there was only times did an article, and they were trying to talk about how easy it is to get on the streets, and they were saying, "Oh, this teacher, you know, she, all of a sudden she's living in, you know, in the car park, and then loses her car." And I was like, "What? What do you mean, it's teacher? Oh, oh, oh!" And she's doing meth and the she's whole doing way. Meth. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. Well, now that's why yeah. she's on the street. You know, the other the other issue, and that, she knows it too. By the way, she'll say it, but of course, the reporter barely reports that. that. It's really frustrating. I have to agree with you. That I, I, I there's. The LA Times has done one story in which meth was a major uh, component, and that was a column by the great Steve Lopez, a, a terrific columnist. He wrote this one column. It's been a while now. I can't remember when it came out, maybe a couple of years ago. I but, think I interviewed him about that article. But that was, I was like, yes, That please. was the one yes. thing that really – And he told me then, he goes, I'm going to get this out here. I'm going to get, get it. I want somebody – maybe somebody crushed him down. There's I don't know. very, very little about this, Ugh. and and uh, and and it's like this timidity. Also, you see this – I've heard – Three counselors now tell me in varying ways. Drug, drug that, counselors? Yeah, yeah, that they meet with other kind of coalition members and groups. Yeah, and, yeah. and 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 anytime anyone mentions anything like this, it's a condemnation of well, that did, idea. Did you see what happened Why I was appointed to the Lhasa Allocation Committee? I'm sorry. I missed that. Oh, my God. I was, it was – you go look at the LA Times and the okay. articles they wrote and stuff. It was disgusting. What? Dis, what was that woman's name? Jackie something? Jacqueline something? Disgusting, uh-huh. and I was attacked because you know, these are medical disorders; these are psychiatric illnesses. Yeah. Not one clinician on any of the committees anywhere right. that allocate mm-hmm. resources to them. Yeah. How's that possible? Well, well, if if you talk with people who are like in Skid Row working in medicine, or I do or, all the time, try, you know, you will find there that they are there. It's it's they know. Of the course, truth. they do. Everybody in, in the ER in the, knows, in this, in this, in yeah. the county knows what the truth is. Spoke, speaking with a, a doctor down there, and she was telling me eighty percent. Um, and I think she said maybe even more of of the people I deal I see are all on meth. That's, yeah, it's, and the other the, the, the and then the remaining ten more are just straight opiate, yeah. straight opiate, and then the last ten percent is mental illness, right? <laughs> yeah, and this was all in an area where you know, of course, uh, 
decades ago, alcohol was the issue. But what's also yeah, interesting about, about, about meth is, you know, Skid Row is a fascinating thing. It was, in, after the 80s, it was really a crack area. Yes. Crack was... Crips sold crack there. It was never going to leave. It was well, entrenched I, product, and now yeah. meth has yeah, same thing. Outcompeted. I, I though, I though was talking to Andy Bales. Yeah, the, uh, I don't know him personally. I know who you is. should know him. You should interview yeah. him because he's got a lot of ideas. Because his dad was doing this before him. Yeah, and he goes, you know, back at the turn of the century, nineteen twenties or something before cars. He said. He said, maybe this is even his grandfather. They've been doing this for 100 years there. <laughs> and he goes, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not or if he meant it to say this or not. But he right. said, he goes, yeah, my dad, it was alcohol then. Sure. It, it was just yeah. straight alcohol. Sure. And he goes, and yeah, what we would do is we would pull the wagon around and those, to the bar and those that wanted to get on the wagon <laughs> got on the wagon right. and were brought to the treatment center. Right. And I thought, is that where on the wagon came from? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it was so. Like he sort of implied it. Yeah. Jacqueline Cosgrove. Thank you, Gary. Well done. Jacqueline Cosgrove, can, she is a disgusting human being. She did Don't not – she – Oh my God! She made allegations about me. Didn't ask me. Ask me one thing about my training or my experience. Not one thing. Uh-huh. I mean, I have I have credentials that are a mile long. I promise yeah. you. I taught medicine. I taught psychiatry. I'm uh-huh. a fellow with American College of Physicians. I have two board certifications. She didn't ask me about any of that, and then accused me of unbelievable stuff because yeah. because a homeless advocate. I'm beginning to wonder if the homeless advocates are in, involved in the trafficking or something because there was something that happened last week. Do you see that? No, I missed that. They arrested a, a homeless advocate because he was distributing the fentanyl. Oh, no. Where was this? Here in L.A.? In L.A. I'll, I'll look for that story. It's just like yeah. two, uh, 10 days ago. I, uh, I, it, it, that's it occurs to me. One. I'm not sure. It's I'm, not crazy. I think it may be illustrative. I, maybe that's because I can't – I don't understand their motivation otherwise. Yeah. Why don't they want to help these people? There, there, is, there is a willful blindness. I think it is, comes from, you know, the, the, we, we have it in our neuroscience to feel noble about our <laughs> compassion. And that's, and that's, that's where, that's where for example, that's where, for example, the bizarre wording comes from. So instead of saying a homeless person, yeah. it's a person's uh, experiencing an unhoused neighbor. Yeah, it's a drug it's addict. Not, it's You're a, not allowed to say yeah. addict anymore either. It's no, a, that's, it's all a person that's nonsense. With a substance I, use disorder. As you know, from, from the least of us, that's... Not my concern. I, I, I believe. I believe in. Very, in very, if you're going to tell stories yeah. that destigmatize and and yes. and reveal some truths about yes. what's going on, you have to use clear language. Yes. Absolutely. The, not the, not the, adding, the obfuscating language adds to stigma. Totally. It makes it Absolutely. feel like you've got to be treated differently. No, it's a no. drug addict. No, no. no. It, and, and also, it 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 pushes away the approaching constituency that is opening to the idea of yeah. wanting to look into this yeah. more, what maybe this understand they don't really know much yeah. about it. Yeah. But now, oh, now, you know, here's what also is the case. If you're going to do that, now you have to speak in this kind of code. stilted, awkward yeah. code yeah. That, that adds, never reduces the number of syllables you can use, but always adds endlessly to yeah. them, you know. Yeah. And it, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a real um, uh, a reflection of, of kind of people – Get off. Have there's this neuroscientific kind of uh, chemistry that 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 is uh, uh, magnified or is released when you feel you are uh, noble and more noble or compassionate or more virtuous than other people. And the way you do I, I that argue, is telling them that this is how you have to yeah. talk about something. That the word addicts is a perfectly fine word to use. Of course, it's six but letters. They, they don't know what they're talking about. I understand they mean well narcissist engage in that kind of normal behavior because a non-narcissist actually has empathy and actually looks at what's going on but be yeah. that as it may the other thing? I'm getting so I'm getting so <laughs> messed up about this um, oh, shit 
Hold on, I had something other point. I wanted, well, the COVID has made me have these blocks periodically. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. Uh, and go ahead. Danny, you're telling the story about the least of us. So on. anyway, uh, so basically, that that it, it the book became kind of uh, the weaving of several stories. One was um, uh, fentanyl and methamphetamine, and how we are now in the synthetic world of uh, synthetic era of drug trafficking. Opiates and and they make opioids. They make so much. They, these are made not because there's. There is a demand in the sense, but not, this is not what's promoting them. They they make total business sense from a trafficker's point of view. It's a completely it's if you can make um, a, a heroin ver, a version of heroin in which you don't have to grow poppies, mm-hmm. and you don't have to wait four months, and you can you, you don't have to have li- large extensions of land that people can spray from a helicopter. If you can do all that and reduce the supply chain, cut costs out of the supply chain, that is huge, and that's what fentanyl was about. Yep. Methamphetamines, kind of the, what they are, they'd already learned those lessons from and, meth. And it could be traffic more easy because such uh, small amounts, tra- yeah. it's cheaper, yeah. so more people are accessing. There all, it goes. All of that. Oh, so that's part of it. But then there's also the 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 stuff that I really loved learning and for this book was was about the the neuroscience of it all and the the chemistry of of how we are all addicts in waiting with the right combinations of except there there's sort of two versions of it with opiates um, uh-huh. which is dependency that kind of looks like drug addiction when you take them off they don't want to use anymore <laughs> while a yeah. drug addict has a change a, a switch has been thrown and they're different forever. Yes, well, there. I mean, there is some of that. Yeah. I think. I think in general, it's it's kind of like I, what I found fascinating was we all have the same brain receptors. Now yeah, yeah. we all well, have different life experiences. Yeah. But it also gets to this that one guy was telling me this, and I thought it was fascinating. It's it's all about the, the, also the reinforcements that we encounter in our in our in our lives, our daily lives. Well, we live now in an era of complete addiction reinforcers. Oh, sure. You know, Absolutely. with. The phone. Social media yeah, and yeah, yeah. the cell phone, yeah. internet, but also sugar, yeah. fast food at ev- fast food at every interstate off ramp, um, uh, you know, gambling, uh, and all of these are 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 refined yeah. in- endlessly by very very bright moneyed corporations and, and, and innovators who and look to make look it. at Facebook and all that stuff, and this yeah. is they're manipulating our, our reward systems. But the, the brain has two systems. We have a wanting system yeah. and a liking system. Right. And the disease of addiction is all about the wanting. Even when they don't like it anymore, they still want it and they can't sure. stop. It's so. a craving for what you really Craving don't. is a separate phenomenon. Uh-huh. It's just a thing that says do it again, do it again, do it again, yeah, do it again. Right. Craving can be part of it, but it's a separate phenomenon. So I found these kinds of stories fascinating uh, as as well. But, uh, but, but then I, I, I realized that – I kind of already had this in mind that, that really this story, this book needs to be also about those small community stories because the lesson of all this, there's a lesson here that that I think needs to be uh, broadcast, and that is that when we come out of our corporate shells or our own little worlds and and come out onto the street and be around other people and look to other people to, to, to help them in small get ways. Get off our phones. As, and get off our phones as we were talking, small, small ways, that that is the way you, you build social change that is lasting mm-hmm. and meaningful and important, not kind of broadcasting on Twitter how noble you are because you hate this person because right, she said that. Nothing. That's a zero. It's zero. That's a zero. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an agonizing thing to watch. So uh, I, I hope 
you go out and speak about this meth thing, if I can help with that oh, in any absolutely. way. Oh, absolutely. It not really had occurred to me that I, I thought people understood the meth story, but as you're telling it, I'm realizing, oh, shit, they don't know. You're, you're telling it really for the first time. I, I think it, that's the, 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 the scoop of the book, frankly, it is, is, it is, is. That, that, that people need to understand we have a problem of, of homelessness and mental illness. There is a a basis for that that is involved in what's coming out of out of Mexico. What do the Mexicans who traffic this think of the people they're distributing? They don't to? give a. It's just they don't, that, they don't even man, think that, about it. They just that, don't no, think about no. it. No, they, no. This is a wild west free but, market. But, but I mean, down but I mean, there. do they think uh, that they that they like, like? They don't want their brothers using it, and they don't want their children. It, but do they most, hope that it destroys us? Do they? No, no. These are just criminal capitalists. They are they absolutely apolitical, amoral. They don't care. They want the money, and that that is it. And they also want meth is important in that world. By the way, it's much. You know, I always used to say, and I still still do that. The, the gateway to Mexican drug trafficking was marijuana. Yeah. That's how you become a trafficker. Yeah. You, it's very easy to grow, and, yeah. and you kind of learn the ropes. You get over your fears and yeah. you, all that stuff, except for that marijuana, if you grow it, if you're a farmer out there, it's very difficult to make money because there's always these middlemen that really make the money. They're the mm-hmm. ones who buy it from you, package it, traffic it, and they're the ones making the money. With meth, those middlemen are really reduced. Everybody can make it. Just like a lot of people can grow marijuana, but but you can you can traffic it far more easily, and it's easier to find the chemicals than and and and, and you can make it within two weeks. Mm-hmm. You make it two weeks later. One guy told me in two weeks you're, you you start cooking it in two weeks. It's you're crossing the border with it, mm-hmm. you know. And so there's huge huge numbers of people now down there. Uh, involved in cooking it in one way or transporting it in one way or, I'm, I'm, or, or another. I'm guessing the DEA is aware of this. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the problem is, too, though. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Most definitely. <laughs> I went down to Mexico to talk to some of these guys down there. Um, the problem is now the current president of Mexico is – um, you know, I knew him when I was living in Mexico. I covered him a little bit uh, down there. Um, my feeling is that, that he was far more uh, balanced – when I was down there, I don't know what's going on with the guy. I haven't covered him that that closely, but there is this sense that of not really wanting to participate um, in in what methamphetamine is doing to that country environmentally alone is is a it's an absolute disaster down there. But also just in the way it corrodes everything else in the, in the, in, the, in the country. Are people using it in Mexico? N- not so much, but yeah. if, but but the 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 dumping of the uh, the chemicals, chemicals yeah. the by, byproducts and so on is just So the cartel was involved with that. Well, so, yeah. you know, the cartels are are a misnomer in a sense. Be, a lot of times they are just large agglomerations, confederations, you might say, of local of, of local producers. See, all it's of the whom, opposite of what you're advocating for. I'm sorry, what's that? It's it's the converse of what you're advocating for in terms of community development. It is. It's the, it's right. the, it's the, it's the, disto- it's, the it's, it's the corrosion, corrosion uh, weird, of weird distortion community, of that. Uh, yeah. abs- without a doubt. Right. And more, but more and more people see if I make this stuff, I can, I can get it north and make a lot of money. Yeah. And if, if the price drops, what that ends up doing is not dissuading people from making it, but, convincing them to make, make more. more of it you know so the that's how you explain the glut that really results in prices in Kentucky and prices in North Carolina being what's astonishing the, to me you know, is the the user that they don't 
usually what happens with using is they start seeing what happens and that reduces the using. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they see their here's peers. The thing. And this happens pretty fast with meth. It, yeah. Well, but here's the other thing. And that's why this belongs in a book about opioids because – what they've done with supply is change demand. Yeah. They, they have used – I know. I see they that. Have, they have piggybacked on – they see the – Supply and price. The market uh, is now – for meth is now tens of thousands, I'm not sure what the numbers would be, of opioid users mm-hmm. who, are, who are kind of terrified of fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Been at this a long time. Not, they they are not. They're still part of the drug world, even though they've repeated attempts to get to get uh, sober. You know, and and so now meth comes along and is sold kind of as a as a fall as, as a adjunct. Yeah, and they're they're kind of addicted. It's, to it's a speedball. It's a speedball. Yeah, right. And so it's but, a, it's but what they speedball. what they end up doing is kind of they're on suboxone to control the cravings of, of opioids and they're still using meth. I was in right, a correct. Pr- uh, jail in, uh, in Kentucky talking with six women. Every single one of them had switched. Now, you've never seen en masse in America huge numbers of people switch from heroin to methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. But that's what the supply in its catastrophic and colossal uh, size coming out of Mexico has, the, the, has done. Piggybacked on top of the opioid epidemics consumer market the problem we're seeing is they're they're not sticking with the meth they're trickling in fentanyl on top of it so it's well that's and frequently that's a decision at the local level i think Uh, there's a lot of folks who figured out that fentanyl is your go-to additive if you have stepped on um diluted cocaine boom add a little bit of fentanyl and all of a sudden it becomes this thing correct and that's that's frankly one of the reasons why uh, we're seeing lots of deaths of african-americans all across the country now is because people are buying cocaine, but dealers on the street are adding fentanyl to it, and they're not prepared to use any. Same any, thing with Xanax. Same yeah. thing with Xanax. But yeah. Sam, I've got to wrap up. I, obviously, I could go another hour with you. It's been great, man. So, oh my god! Please go out on the road and talk about this. Please I'm write that. Doing my best. COVID, Please write that. COVID, uh, COVID permitting. Uh, I I I want to get you on my streaming show too. Where we sort of. We just sort of take questions and see what people are Great. thinking about. Yeah, get happy the word to out. do it. It's Let's Sam it. Quinonius, Q-U-I-N-O-N-E-S.com, at Sam Quinonius7 on Twitter. It's, again, Q-U-I-N-O-N-E-S. Facebook, at Sam Quinonius Journalist. Uh, just go to samcunonis.com, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We're on Amazon yeah. uh, or get Barnes book, and Noble. Get the book. Get the it least now. of us. And if you haven't read Dreamland, I pr- I strongly recommend you get it so you can understand what we just been through. And if you want to know what we're going through now, get the least of us. And uh, Sam, as always, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Right, you got it. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Every 60 seconds, not one. Two children are trafficked. And every 30 seconds, one is forced into slavery for the purpose of heinous acts. 
Human trafficking is happening in your own backyard. It is happening to your neighbors. Many whom we see every day in our own communities hidden in plain sight. You know, there's kids out there that are being bought and sold 20 times a day. We must bring the child back to the center of our care and concern. And today we launch Goya Cares. Goya Cares is dedicated to supporting victims and overcomers of trafficking and abuse to rescue, rehabilitate, reunite, and to shine the light that will block traffic. This is where we become the light. God saved me. I believe that I was called to this. Perhaps he's calling you to block traffic. Join Goya Cares and visit blocktraffic.org.